The holidays have kicked into full gear, right? The music is going. Hallmark is... I, I sat and watched uh, Hallmark with my mom and my wife and my sister. And I was being a good brother, a good husband, and a good son. Right? And, you know, if you put some of the schmaltz aside, it's actually fairly good stories, right? Like sleighs in winter with fake snow and it's dragging on the pavement. Okay, how does that work? Never mind. It's, Dad, you're wrecking the movie. Stop it. But, you know, here's hoping in the holidays you and your family enjoy them richly, that you have a lot of of joy with them. And uh, we're going to take a look this morning at uh, something that is part because the holidays can bring some ambivalent feelings. Ambivalent means you're not quite sure how to feel about it. When it comes to how do I respond to the whole Christmas, gift-giving, commercialized, materialistic side of things, right? There's a bunch of battering rams that get thrown our way during this time of year. And as uh, believers, we often straddle a thin fence and a fine line in negotiating our emotions and conscience during this time of year. Questions like, what about Union Gospel Mission? What about World Vision? What about street people? What about my kids? What about my wife? What about myself, right? Ever run through that gauntlet of questions? Well, I'm sure you felt the same tension, tension, so have I. And we're going to explore the concept of materialism in me this morning. So let's pray and we'll get started. Father, when we come this morning, we recognize you're the God who has created material things. You created the universe. You created this planet. You created us. And so as we look at this, we are looking for that perspective, a perspective of health, a perspective of solidness, a perspective that uh, benefits others, a perspective that benefits you. And as we do this this morning, I ask that you would just use the thoughts put together. And uh, as we've been going through this whole concept of awe, we ask that you would give us awe of what you've made and how to use it wisely. And we give it to you in your name. Amen. All right. So another thing this morning, because of the funeral and because of Thanksgiving and because of visiting my mom, there's no slides this morning. So old school, you have to look in your Bibles or look on your phone, all right? And uh, take a look because I don't have any slides. So let's talk about, start with the battle over creation and go back because I think it's a great starting point. And uh, let's start with the creation itself. Uh, If you go through the history of philosophy, uh, it's actually a really deep subject that a lot of people have given tremendous amounts of intellectual time to trying to figure out just what exactly is this place we call planet Earth and how did it get here and, uh, you know, what's the purpose for the whole thing. Plato postulated that the material world was uh, a shadow of the real world and that for everything you see down here, there was a perfect copy in the eternal. And, um, and so eventually that shifted that this was evil and that the spirit was pure and good, complete or perfect. But scripture and Christian theology has always affirmed the goodness of the creation. Right? God saw all that he had made and it was good. Genesis 1.31 actually says it was very good. Excellent, we would say. And that included the creation of man and woman. That what God had put in motion was a fantastic 
fantastic thing. And then, of course, there was the fall. And the fall has marred and stained everything and it doesn't work the way it's supposed to or the way we'd like. But the initial blueprints and fingerprints of God's goodness are still evident. Right? What he built in, you can still see the glory of God's creation and what he's designed. We can see it in the universe. You can see it on this planet. You can see it with each other. Right? You can see the good and the bad mixed in a, just rare forms and combinations, but you can still see the fingerprints and the blueprints and the DNA of God's goodness and genius in his creation. Uh, Gnosticism, which said that, which is kind of a takeoff on Plato, said that that which is the spirit was good, but that which is of the body is evil, has consistently been judged as a heresy in Christian theology. Right? And so this, this battle, this war over the material world and the spirit world and which is what and what is how has been going on uh, for a lot longer than you and I have been around. Now let's take that one step further. How does one react or respond to the issue of wealth and possessions? Again, in the Christian setting, there's ambivalence and there's different camps that you can land in. There's a, 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 a perspective, a paradigm, right? Uh, shift uh, that we land on. Like Tevye on Fiddler on the Roof. We often wonder, pray and plead, would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man? Right? Again, we find ourselves wrestling between two polar opposites when it comes to the Christian faith and those polar opposites. So we started with creation. Is creation good? Or is creation evil, right? And then when we come to materialism here and, uh, and we take the issue of wealth and possessions, the question is, is being wealthy a sign of the blessing of God or is being poor the sign of the blessing of God, right? There's those two camps. In the one camp, uh, on the prosperity side, if you take scripture, you would have the likes of Abraham, Joseph, King David and Solomon. Right? Just think through those names, think through the stories. You would recognize those. On the asceticism side, you have people like John the Baptist, ate locusts and wild honey. You have the woman who put the two small coins, Scripture says it equaled a penny. Right? She dropped them in the treasury. Remember Jesus said she gave more than all the others because she gave out of her need. They gave out of their abundance. You have... Anna, the prophetess, we don't often talk much about her, but she was a widow for years and years and years. Matter of fact, most of her life. And uh, she dwelt in the temple the whole time. That was, that was her role. She was uh, an ascetic. And then, of course, you have Jesus himself. Right? Jesus did not collect things in his life other than people. And uh, most of his earthly possessions never lasted. And we have some illustrations, numerous illustrations that uh, work this way. For example, the Pharisees. We know that the way they did it, what they were doing was not right. That they uh, loved power. They loved position. They loved possessions. And they would fight aggressively against anybody who was going to try and take that. 
in the name of God, even if it was God himself that they were fighting. Right? They found themselves on the wrong side of the fence because of hanging on to those tighter than hanging on to God. And then you have, of course, the story of the rich young ruler. What did Jesus say to that particular person? Go sell all you have, give it to the poor, come follow me and you'll have treasures in heaven. And it says he went away sad. Why? Because he had a lot of possessions. So those stories tend to color it towards the ascetic side. Now what's the real battle here? What, what do we really have? What does it look like on the ground as we live it day in and day out? Up close and personal. I've been telling you about Paul Tripp's book, Awe, and uh, if you want to follow this farther, I'd recommend you get the book. But he says this about awe as he's talking about it. He says, you see this played out in a thousand ways every day. If you listen, you'll discover, I'm quoting him here, that the universal language of sinners in this broken world is complaint. And if you're wondering where I pulled that rabbit out of the hat, go to last week's message. We talked about complaint, right? Any of you get tested on that this week, by the way? <laughs> I won't look. Don't raise hands. He says, you'll discover that the universal language of sinners in this broken world is complaint. When you're at the center, when you feel entitled, when your desires dominate your heart, and when it's really all about you, you will have much to complain about. It is amazing how much more natural complaint is for us than thanks, or how much more we tend to grumble than we tend to praise. We talk much more about what we want rather than what we've been given. You thought about that? We tend to grumble much more about what we want than what we've been given. Notice how much we compare what we have to what others have and how little of the time we are satisfied. The issue of contentment, being at peace, it's good, it's enough, I'm satisfied. Listen to people very long and you'll hear the drone of complaint far more frequently than you hear the melody of thankfulness. Is that not true in our culture? I think he's on to something here. You see, we first don't have a grumbling problem. No, we have an awe problem that results in a life of personal dissatisfaction and complaint. When awe of self replaces awe of God, praise will be rare and grumbling will be plentiful. He goes on to say that awe lies at the bottom of a whole range of human struggles. And he gives these illustrations. Jim was disappointed. He had set his sights on that promotion for years. He had done all the right things. He had gotten to know all the right people. And he had played the game well. But the promotion had gone to someone else. In his disappointment, all he could think of doing was quitting. He wasn't going to allow them to treat him this way. And now he'd been out of work for 18 months and he doesn't know what to do. Janice was so hurt. She had been a loyal friend. She had had Sue's back again and again. She thought they had a bond like sisters. As an only child, she was so glad to finally have a sibling relationship in her life. And the thought that they would be best friends forever made her smile. Until Sue told her that she was moving. For six months she had known and never told Janice. When Janice found out, the room went dark. She felt she couldn't breathe and she refused to open herself up to anyone else. 
After ten years, she still wondered what has happened to Sue. George was so angry, he wanted to punch a hole in the wall. No one was going to get away with disrespecting him like that, especially his own son. He couldn't wait for him to get home, and when he did, George would make him pay for every bit of that disrespect. My house, my rules, my reputation. George repeated to himself over and over again as he waited for his son to arrive. I could die today and no one would notice, Caleb complained. Depressed and alone, all he wanted to do was die. Why does nothing good happen to me? Where are all my friends? What's the point? I'm 42 with a junk job and elderly parents. Nice life. I think he's comparing junk and parents there. I'm not so sure it's a good correlation. I wake up in the morning and can't find a reason for living. I wish I could just turn off the breathing machine. He didn't feel like it was much to ask. Just let my life be easy and a little predictable for once. If I had that, I'd be satisfied. Hector was so frustrated. It seemed to him that he had a target on his back. For every step he moved forward, he moved three steps back. I just can't deal with it anymore. I just want life to work, he yelled as his frustration boiled over. Liz, on the other hand, was a definition of hopelessness. She had looked everywhere for life, but to no avail. She committed herself to countless activities and groups, yet they all gave her way more grief than blessing. Liz lacked the motivation to do anything anymore and had to force herself to get out of bed every morning just to go to work. She had long since given up on her church. More than once she told herself, if life is out there, I missed it, and I'm too tired to look anymore. Eaten with anger, he determined to settle the score. Rick was filled with vengeance. He reasoned that nothing was more important than justice. He was determined to make wrongs right, no matter how big or small. When it came to justice, he argued, you can depend on no one else. Someone you, somehow you have to make it happen yourself. And he said he would. Each of the above scenarios suffer from what Tripp calls an awe problem or awe wrongness. Awe's been planted in the wrong place. Awe's been planted in this direction instead of this direction. And because that's off, the whole playing field is off. And Tripp says you can hear it in people's voices when you listen. He says they want something. And if they just had it, right, whatever it may be, they would be satisfied and they would be happy. Now stop for a moment. Those are obviously scenarios. But think about your life this morning as you're sitting here. What one thing would you or do you really want? You could say it like this. If I only had blank, then my life would be what? If I only had this, then my life would be that. What's the this and the that for you? What tends to take your awe, my awe, and convert it from this relationship to this relationship and expect this relationship to give me what only this relationship can give me. 
And Tripp says this is precisely where we go wrong and get off track. We place our hope in stuff and we hope that it will fulfill us and make us happy. And what I want to point out this morning is that our awe can be hijacked. Instead of awe of God, we are in awe of stuff. And here's the key point, and it makes a brilliant point in the book. Stuff can't give you life. Only God can give you life. Stuff can't give you life. Only awe can give you life. How many of you have been in a hobby at one point in your life? And you were all in. You ever been all in on something? I mean, just all in. I mean like rock solid, 100%. It engulfs you. You're just swamped with it, right? You think it, you eat it, you breathe it. I mean, just totally engaged with it. And then that wears off. And then you engage in another. Something that grabs your awe and your energy and your passion. Tripp says, this is what happens. Stuff can't give life. As a matter of fact, stuff can actually, actually choke out and hijack life. It actually can choke out and hijack our, hijack our awe. Where once we may have been in awe of God, now not so much. Because we're in awe of the stuff we've collected. Some of it's pretty nice stuff. Uh, Jesus made a point of this, of, of warning us about that. Uh, he told the parable. Remember the parable of the sower? He said, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them out. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And Jesus said, he who has ears... Let him hear. And when he explained the parable, he said, Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. Uh, I'll never forget a guy that I shared Christ with uh, at the Lake to Lake plant in Denmark, Wisconsin, where I was converted to Christ. And he also had a sudden burst of enthusiasm and interest in Christ. And, uh, and within two days, it was totally gone. And it was the most startling thing that I've wrestled with uh, in my life. He says, For what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. And as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for one who was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and deeds bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, another thirty. I think the one that most of us would deal is the third case scenario. Right? The responsibility of life. How many of you have responsibilities in life? Right? All of you do. Some of them, amazing responsibilities. Some of you are parents. Some of you are educators. Some of you are professionals. Some of you are involved in all kinds of arenas where other people are depending on. Some are in nursing care. Some, uh, you know, life and death kind of decisions. But it's pretty easy for the deceitfulness of life and the cares of this world 
to choke out that word that was planted in our hearts, the awe of God this way, becomes consumed with the awe of things this way. Right? And we wrestle with that. And there, there's other scriptural minders. Uh, in Luke 12, Jesus reminds us that life does not consist of one's possessions. Right? That's Luke 12:15. Mark 8:36 says we can gain the whole world and lose our soul. First uh, John 2:16 says the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, are all still deadly traps that we face. And if we go back to the temptation of Jesus, remember that's a, you can find that in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, if you look at that uh, particular uh, season of Jesus' life, he's taken out in the desert and the devil tempts him. And one of the things that Satan tempted him with is bow down, worship me, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Remember that? And Jesus rebuked him with the word. But it does tell us Satan still promises prosperity to those who will follow him. So if we get frustrated on this level, we might start seeking this level because somebody else will promise us what we don't think he will give us. That's a dangerous exchange. So does that mean this morning that then now we should, you should all go sell your homes, sell your cars, sell your stuff, give it to the poor. We'll start a community here in the church, right? And we'll all live together and we'll eat beans and rice for the rest of our life. No, that is not what that means, okay? What God's warning about, what Tripp's saying, is getting our awe stolen, right? Just think of how Jesus has been scrubbed out of the Christmas season, right? From the time when I was a kid till now, which I grant you is a few years. All right, thanks for the kindness. Um, It's astonishing how much it has shifted. When I was a kid, Jesus was a huge part of Christmas. Uh, You don't hear his name mentioned on TV anymore. As a matter of fact, probably can't be, or they'd be uh, facing a lawsuit. Is what what's God's plan for material things? Well, trip lists of four things that I think are really good balance points on this. God's plan for material things are this. Number one, material things are meant for your sustenance. In other words, God created this planet to sustain life. And not just sustain life, but for life to flourish. Remember, he gave it to Adam and Eve and said, rule over the entire creation. And although that's fallen, cracked, broken, stained, and wrecked because of the fall, this planet still is designed by God to give life. It's designed to sustain us. Right? And when we keep that in a proper balance, uh, we recognize that life comes this way and God has created things this way to help us stay alive. So we don't live for this. You know, the old saying is, do you live to eat or do you eat to live? Right? That hits the, the idea there that God has designed it to sustain us, is to keep us alive. Okay? Second thing, material things are for our pleasure. Notice that God did not create the whole world to be like uh, the Baja of California, right? And all cactus and snakes and scorpions and you know things that want to bite, prick, or kill you, right? That there's some incredibly beautiful things that capture our awe. That they are uh, some amazing um, 
things that are pleasurable on this planet. And that leads us to the third point. And the third point is that material things are for our remembrance. In other words, when we hit those pleasurable things, when we hit those great things, when we hit the sustaining things, the life-giving things, that should immediately draw back our attention to the God who created those things and give thanks this way for the things that we can see he made this way. Okay? And when you keep that in balance, when you keep that in right order, life is a lot of fun. That's the Christian life that we think of. That's the Christian life we speak of. That's the Christian life that has joy in it. Because we see these and we go, wow, that is awesome, God. How did you ever come up with that idea? Amazing things, right? Those, it's meant to remind us that God's fingerprints, God's handprints are all over the stuff around us, including the people you see, whether they know him or not. Right? And then the fourth thing that he says, that we've, we spent some time on already, is just to keep this in perspective, no matter how good the holidays are, no matter how good the meal was or how good the turkey was or how good the pies were, how good the cranberry was, I know you're getting hungry already, and uh, no matter how great the Christmas is, no matter how genius you were in getting the exact perfect gift for the right person and you nailed it, right? Just remember, stuff can't give life, right? It's a reflection of something. Where do we get this reflection gift-giving thing? Well, we've hijacked the whole season. How have we hijacked it? We've made it about us. Instead of the gift-giving is a reflection of God's heart, that God gives us gifts, that God is the original gift-giver, not us. We're trying to ace him out of his equation. Now, there, there would be some things here where, what's a balance point? All right, here's a balance point. You want a very common scriptural balance point? If you use your tithe to get presents rather than give to the Lord, that's a problem, okay? Not a problem with me. You do whatever you want with your money, all right? But it's a problem with God. If you use your tithe to spend it this way and you don't give honor this way, you are making a bad exchange. That's a wrong principle. You've now gotten struck with awe this way, hoping that that sacrifice will give you the honor or joy or praise that you expect, and almost always you're guaranteed to be disappointed. Right? Anybody in here been disappointed when they've given gifts and they haven't been appreciated the way they were supposed to be? Okay, just look around the room. The heads are nodding. Yeah, that's a universal experience, right? Again, we trade this awe, vertical awe, for this awe, horizontal awe. And we think it's a good bargain, and it's not. The idea here is keep things in right perspective, right balance. Keep God in first place. Keep your awe this way high, right? So that you can understand this way well. Don't let this way hijack this way. So how do you keep your vertical awe intact during this holiday season? All right? Let's walk through some really simple things. You don't need notes for this. You know this. Let's just remind each other of this, right? Here's some real basic holiday cheer. Here's how you do it. Number one, 
How do you keep your vertical intact on holiday season? Stay grateful. Stay grateful. Stay grateful for all kinds of stuff. Stay grateful for your health. Stay grateful for your home. Stay grateful for your wife. Stay grateful for your husband. Stay grateful for your kids. Stay grateful for your neighbors. Stay grateful for your cars, even if the lights flash on when they're not supposed to. Stay grateful for everything that God's given. Stay grateful. Thank the Lord in all things, right? Um, John did a great job of putting that up on the screen. Stay thankful in all circumstances. Secondly, stay content, right? Stay grateful, stay thankful. Secondly, stay content. And what does that mean? Does that mean it's wrong that you would want to get a new car? No, but keep it in balance. If you sacrifice everything in the world and wipe out your relationships just to get the new car, that's a bad trade, right? I have a friend one time, Dan Gary's a great guy. He says, yeah, he said, my life was going great till I wrapped God around a tree. Okay, well, what was his God? It was his hot car that he had back in the day and he wrapped it around a telephone pole. And, uh, you know, that's what happens to stuff, right? It falls apart. So stay content. Yes, it would be nice to get that. Lord, would you let us get that? If you make the way open, that's wonderful. If not, we're, we're, we're fine. Stay content. It's so easy. Do you, re- you do realize, right, that all of television, all of advertising is designed to make you discontent. You're a gunky. You got cooties. And nobody's going to like you, right? Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some dirt, right? And if you just had this product, what is that creating? Discontentment. You have to have this if you're going to be that. Right? No. No, that's not true. Actually, most of us are pretty okay. Pretty nice people. And you don't need that to be nice people. We can be content with what God has given. And there's great peace in that. It's very wonderful experience when you can sit in your home and go, this is awesome. Thank you, Lord. What a great place to live. I I remind my family all the time that we live in the top 5% of the whole world in terms of living conditions. That we can always look at what others may have, but boy, in terms of what the rest of the world has, we got it pretty good. Matter of fact, we got it really good. It's a fantastic deal, right? So stay content. Let's... Keep our awe on Jesus this holiday season. As a, as a body, as a family of Christian believers, as Northview Community Church, as an expression in the community, let's keep our awe on Jesus. You know, it'll make a difference. It'll make a difference. People will notice. I, I remember last year I was in, I forget what line I was in, and it was probably Costco. A lot of joy in Costco at this time of year. <laughs> Particularly in the parking lot. And... Um, Pam was almost killed three times last year in the Costco party. But I, I remember coming through the line and I was happy about something. I don't know what it was. And uh, a guy in the line looks at me and, and says, who the hell gave you the right to be so happy? And I was like, ah, oh. yeah, yeah, I hadn't even thought about it. I was just being Steve, right? And, uh, and I said, Jesus, Oh, but you thought I dropped a smoke bomb in the place, right? I mean, but they. But what that tells you is what 
They can tell. Right? They can tell. You know, we saw it in that video last week. There was the little boy in Costco with awe. And there was the little girl who went to Disneyland. And remember I said, let's be the boy with awe, not the little girl. And that's not mean boys got awe and girls don't. That was just the illustration. Okay? I already anticipated that, so thank you very much. Okay? Let's keep our awe on Jesus. Let's keep our awe vertical, intact, so that we can keep the horizontal in balance. And I think if we do that, it'll all fall in place in terms of what God wants us to do with materials and the things around us that are meant for great joy, great blessing. Give with great intent this year. Okay? Give across the board. Give to ministries you want to give to. But keep the awe intact, right? Let's keep Jesus in the radar screen. Let's keep him as the source of our awe. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we walk through this, there's absolutely nothing new in this message. And yet it's a great message. Reminder is one of the highest forms of learning. And you often remind us of things that you have told us before so that we don't forget. And one of the things that's easy to forget is how fantastic you are, how great your salvation is, how unbelievable your steadfastness and your patience and your kindness to us when we've been really difficult and in some ways just buttheads towards you and walk around like you've done nothing and all we do is complain. And Lord, we know how that is on our level. That's just sour spilled milk and none of us like it and we can only imagine how that chafes your hide. Lord, would you help us keep awe intact and would you help us to not trade it for something else this holiday season? And we seek you for that in your name. Amen.